All right, voice. I want to give you time for your last punchline. Don't, don't rush. When it's time, go ahead and have a seat. Happy Father's Day. My name's Eric. I'm an elder here. I have the privilege of teaching every now and then, and I'm just really excited for today. I have, haven't felt this much, uh, like a dad this much as I do this year. Uh, I've been a dad for eight years, but this summer we bought a house, and we had to repipe it suddenly, which is awesome. And also, on late notice, we got a puppy all in the same week. So I haven't felt like this much of a dad ever. It's awesome. Uh, just a few things about dads. We, we hope, as a church, we, we really hope and we pray that, dads, that you are celebrated today. Um, it is Father's Day. And I know just from myself, my own experience, my relationship with Father's Day is you know, hit and miss. It's hot and cold. There are good things. There are some difficult things. So we just want to acknowledge that too, that, that sometimes Father's Day comes with some baggage. It's a mixed bag of things, but uh, it, it's a good day to be grateful. I am grateful for this community. I'm grateful to be a dad. Um, some of you are missing your dads today or want to be a dad and just hasn't happened. And, and so we just acknowledge that. We say thank you for being here. It's, it's a good day. Uh, and let's take a minute and pray. I want to pray for you. Uh, before I do that, I want to just read this great uh, piece of Psalm 145 as we think about our Heavenly Father. It says simply this, the Lord is good to everybody. Can we say amen? The Lord is good to everybody. He showers compassion on all his creation, or another way to say it is his tender mercies are all over his works. Lord, we just thank you for that. As we pray today, God, we, just, uh, we recognize you as our good father. And we thank you, God, for a good day, Father's Day, for a chance to have a barbecue and a hangout after. And Lord, you know what we bring, what this day brings, uh, the mixed bag it can be. And so with the good parts, we are grateful. With the tough parts, Lord, we ask for your help. But we just thank you that we can recognize you today, God, as being good. You are our good father. We pray for all the dads today. We pray for all the families today. May it just be a day full of celebration, uh, just full of uh, gratefulness, good times. And Lord, thank you that we get to be together inside uh, with seeing more of people's faces safely. And Lord, we just uh, have so many things to say thank you for today. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Awesome. Well, today we're going to continue our series. Hello, my name is Jesus. We are going to crack into chapter 20 of 24. We're going through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. It's taken us about a year and a half. Is that right, pastors? A year and a half that we've been in this service? Uh, I got a thumbs up from the back. So it's been a while, and, and we love this style of preaching, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we are getting introduced or reintroduced to the biblical Jesus. I've been serving in ministry <clears throat> in some capacity for about 16 years, and I've learned about myself and, and maybe about others that one of the ways that I can tell if I'm truly following Jesus, one of the evidences, is that Scripture has authority in my life. Let me say that again. One of the ways I can tell, and maybe you can relate, that, that I am truly following Jesus is if I give authority to Scripture in my life. Think about that for a second. See, if you already call Voice Home, or if you're visiting, welcome. We want you to know that as a church, we believe that, that uh, this Voice Church believes that Scripture has authority. Some of you guys are looking at this like, yeah, this is a paper copy. 
We used to use these primarily. Uh, now, obviously, we just use our phone app. But uh, I wanted to bring it because one of our core values is that the, the Bible is God's word to us. The Bible is God's word to us. And the way I think about Scripture, uh, I'm a Bible teacher now. I was a pastor for a long time, and we did some missions work in Africa. I've spent a majority of my life studying and teaching this library. I call it a library. It's more than a book. It's a library. And one of the things I have learned is that when we put a high authority, when we give God permission to let that book change who we are, we get closer with God. And that's what I'm hoping for today. Our church says it like this. It's going to be on your screen. The Bible was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs about living because it is inspired by God. It is truth and has a divine ability to direct, to give us direction. So how much authority do you give the written word today? Just think about that. How much authority do you give the written word today? Because if you're like me, I struggle with my willingness to let go of my opinion and really let Scripture have its say. Sometimes I can read Scripture trying to find a verse that fits with a position or an opinion that I've already created. And if I'm being honest, the more and more I study Scripture with the intent of letting God use it to shape my life, the more and more I want to study Scripture. And the more and more I find myself the right fearful of it. And today I want to start with that in mind as we go forward into our key Scripture for today, our our, our focus Scripture. If you are interested in studying Scripture and you just feel like you're stuck, or you just need resources, or I find the best context to study Scripture is with other people who study Scripture. We call those small groups here at this church. If you're interested in Bible study resources or in small groups in general, please let us know. We would love to get you connected or get you some of that information today. Uh, But I just wanted to throw that in there as we get started. Last week, Pastor Taka said that right around Luke chapter 19, chapter 20, which is where we're going to be at today, The tone changes in the book. Now think for a minute about tone. And what I wanted to start now, obviously scripture uh, isn't um, auditory, like we can't hear it originally spoken. It's, it's, you know, text on a page. So I wanted to grab some theme songs out of movies that you may know that I thought set the tone for the the character or set the tone for the moment. So we're going to play three of these. You're going to know the first one, maybe not the second or third. We'll see. Uh, But go ahead and play that first one. You'll know it. See if it works. Somebody whispered it. Yeah. How do you feel when you hear this? It's like excited, right? Depends on which episode you're watching. I don't know. I remember sitting in the theater being just disappointed with the newest Star Wars and then going a couple years later and thinking, yes, they finally got it. But anyway, Star Wars music puffs me up. But now here's an older one that you may not know, and this one is near and dear to my heart. Let me me just uh, go ahead and hit that one. See if anybody can guess it. Ooh, I'm immediately eight years old in my living room. 
Batman. The, the, uh, the 1989 Michael Keaton. Any, any fans? Okay, yeah, it's old. It's old. I actually watched it last night as I was preparing for this, the music. I was just so pumped. I mean, just wait. Let's play it all the way through. Oh, and he's... I mean, I am so... Yeah, so it sets the mood. This character, you can just tell it's going to be somebody awesome, somebody important. Okay, now I'm going to go switch tones here. We're going to play our third theme song. And uh, you might want to stop it or I'm just going to lose all track. Do you guys know this one? Notice how you feel when you hear this. It's just this elevating, unresolving tone. You see, you hear it building. This is the theme, uh, the intro theme for the Joker character in the newer Batman series, The Dark Knight. And it just puts you on edge, right? We're almost there. And I, whoa, yes. Woo, let's do it again. I love that the music, like, communicates what to expect, you know? And that, especially when you go from, like, Star Wars to Batman to then the Joker theme, each is a little bit unique, it's a little bit different. And what we have to hear here with tone, before we talk about our main scripture, uh, focus scripture today, is how scripture sets the tone. It's usually a little intro story before the bigger story. Okay, so if we can think of this as maybe our theme song, intro into our story, I want to read these two verses, Luke 19, 45 and 46. Jesus has just uh, triumphantly entered Jerusalem during Passover, a time that is a time that is tense. It's very tense, and he has just ridden the donkey in. He's he's wept over Israel, and then he walks to the temple, and this happens. And so maybe think of this that tense music that we just heard, verse forty-five. Then Jesus entered the temple the center of religion, the center of life in Israel, the center really of the whole existence of that nation at that time, and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. This is the place where their, uh, their religious custom was to, to take an animal to be sacrificed. And what happened over time is people started pop-up vending sites, if you will, like think of a farmer's market, where you could go and buy your your animal to sacrifice. And in the transaction, the person selling would make a few dollars. And as the prices raised, the deals got a little bit more crooked. And all of a sudden, the, the, the tone of the temple changed. And Jesus walks in, and he immediately starts driving people out. Like, think of a tense moment. He said to them, this is Jesus' words, he says, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves, robbers. And I want to say to Jesus, like, chill for a minute. You just, you just entered the city as a returning king, a triumphal entry. Jesus, this story, this tone, this music puts me on edge. This is not, this doesn't fit into the idea of you that I already have in my head. 
like chill. He has passionately wept over these people, and now he walks into the temple and just cleans house. The other version of this story in Matthew says that Jesus grabs a whip and turns over the tables. Imagine just flipping over tables as he goes and shouting at people. Now, what we're supposed to know already, which uh, we don't always, is that there's already this established chain of command in the temple. Okay, While we are desiring for Jesus to calm down because that behavior doesn't fit at church, okay, there's already people in charge. We have temple uh, guards. We have priests. We have the high priest. I love how the disciples are like not a part of the story. I can imagine they're just like backing up and hiding like, whoa, Jesus, we'll get you some coffee, man. Like, just chill out. Like, whoa, what is happening right now? And we see here that Jesus is acting like he's in charge. And there are already, there's already a chain of, uh, of command. And that's the tone. Imagine just being on edge in a time that's already already a little bit tense and it's already a little bit suspicious and people are watching who's standing behind them. Jesus continues. I I love this. After that, he said in verse 47, he taught daily in the temple. It wasn't like a mic drop moment. I'll never see you again. I could do whatever I want. He is one day flipping over tables and the next day strutting in to teach again. And the next day, and the next day. And there's an authority about Jesus here that we see that we're supposed to feel because of the tone and the texture here. And then Luke records that the leading priests, now he's going to name all the people in charge. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders, as if you didn't miss, don't, don't miss this, all of the leaders begin planning how to kill him. He is ruffling feathers, folks. This is crazy. Nobody does this. Verse 48. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. I love that. Jesus is walking around acting like he has authority over everything. And the next question is going to question that authority. It's the obvious one-two punch here. And I want to stop, before we get to our our focus scripture in Luke 20, I want to stop and remind us of something that happened in Luke 3, because it's going to be central to what Jesus says. Luke 3, 22, this is Jesus' baptism. Jesus' cousin, John, is going to baptize Jesus here. And John is widely regarded as a prophet from God. So Jesus' baptism was something special. He announces that Jesus, the Son of Man, is coming. It's happening in their lifetime. God's promise is fulfilled. And at Jesus' baptism, think about authority here. Verse 22, And the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him, meaning Jesus, like a dove. And a voice from heaven, by the way, dove is a symbol of sacrifice. And a voice from heaven said, you are my, speaking to Jesus, dearly loved or beloved son. You bring me great joy. If we're talking about authority, the highest authority has just said to Jesus, you are my son. Woo, right? Luke 20. 
The stage is set. Here we go. Focus scripture. Jesus has cleared the temple. The crowds are hanging on every word. The religious leaders are looking for ways to, to, to kill him. This is intense. One day, verse 20, verse 1, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news, where? Oh, in the temple. <laughs> Again, love that. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law and, and the elders, all the leaders, com, uh, demanded, they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? And I love that they get right to the point here. They don't mince words. They're not going to talk around it. This question is at the heart of the issue and I think exposes the heart of the people asking. And I love that Jesus' response is to not answer. Because if you are the highest authority and somebody asks you, where does your authority come from in that culture? You don't answer the question. You answer the question with a question. Jesus says, let me ask you a question first. In verse 3, he replied, did John's authority, here we go, back to the baptism. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over. I imagine them scuttling off and talking amongst themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we don't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us. This is the, the culture that they're in right now. Because they are convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they didn't know. Well, I don't know. And Jesus is like, oh, well, you didn't respond, so I won't either. And he walks off. Now, this was insulting, as if Jesus is saying, you already know who I am. You just don't accept my authority. If you don't answer my question and accept God's authority from John, what God himself said about me and my baptism, then you have chosen ignorance, and I'm going to leave you in that. Whew. Then, as if Jesus wasn't already in a ton of trouble, with the religious leaders. He goes on to tell this parable, and it'll be our last chunk of scripture for today. Luke 29 through 19, and I'm just going to read it and uh, make some notes along the way. He went on to tell the people this parable. Now imagine he's talking to the crowd of people who accept him with the religious leaders in the corner. He knows they're listening, but he's directing at the crowd. He says, a man planted a vineyard and rented it to some farmers who went and went away for a long time. Now, this is a statement about authority. These symbols, the vineyard, the farmer, this is a very common uh, use of symbols in those times. The people listening know that the vineyard symbolizes Israel and that the, uh, the farmers are the religious leaders. Jesus is saying they don't own the vineyard. Everyone hearing this would understand what Jesus has said in this opening verse. At the harvest time, he goes on to say, he sent, the owner, sent a servant to the tenants, to the farmers, so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, to give him some of his own fruit. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. And he sent a, still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. The farmers believe that they're in charge, that they're in charge, that they're in charge. 
Verse 13, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I know, I'll send my son, whom I love, and they would all catch that. That's the phrase from Luke 3, when Jesus was being baptized. My son, whom I love, my beloved. Perhaps they will respect him. Throwback to the baptism here. Verse 14, but when the tenants or the farmers saw him, they talked over the matter. This is the heir, they said, the one who's going to inherit. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Verse 16, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, in our culture, I think we read this as like a subtle, snarky, like threat. But I'm not convinced that that's what Jesus is saying here. I think this is a parable. So he's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point. It's not what's actually going to happen. He's exaggerating to make a point. And I think the point lands perfectly because they respond, the people respond. When they heard this, they said, oh, God forbid that they would kill the son. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, directly at who? Doesn't say. Then, what is the meaning of that which is written? He's about to quote Psalm 118. The stone of the builders rejected has be- that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. This is a Psalm 118. And this psalm is all about how God's love is unfailing relentless, how he rescues, how he cares for people, how he is strength, he is salvation, and the people that God is offering that love to reject the cornerstone. And so that cornerstone that's rejected, that's left out, becomes the foundation for something new, for something new. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew He had spoken this parable against them, (laughs) but they were afraid of the people. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point. I honestly, when I read this in my prep time, I thought that this was going to be a super detailed, complex ending to this because there's a lot going on here. But I felt like God wanted me, he was urging me just to keep it simple. So we're going to close with these three things. Band, not ready yet. First one, I'm going to put it on your screen for you. You always give the highest authority to what you value most. Do you agree with that? You always give the highest authority to what you value most. See, today we talked about how one of the marks of a true Christian, I think, is that person gives Scripture authority in their life. So what do you value most? If someone who is close to you, if I ask them, hey, what does this person like value most in their life? I don't think they're going to, they're they're going to say the things that you talk about on Sunday from 1030 to 1130. I think what they're going to notice is the things you spend the most time on and the things that you spend the most treasure on or your most talented with, or the things that you 
just care about the most. Now, some of those things are, are great. I'm not saying spending a lot of time on family and work and stuff is, is negative, but you spend enough time watching somebody and you're going to know where their highest values are. And here's the thing that I think God wants us to hear today is that what you value isn't based in emotion. It's not what you like the most. Because I wish I could spend more time playing music and spending more treasure building up, buying cool guitars and having more toys. And like I, I wish I could because that's what I like. But what you value most is based in what you decide, regardless of how you feel, okay? What you decide is most important in your life because we could all have cooler stuff. We could, but it might come at the expense of putting God's will for our life second. See, I think this tense moment that Jesus is talking about here has to do with authority, And I wish that I could resolve this and make you feel better. But I have to stay true to what Scripture, I think, is presenting. Because Jesus just keeps hammering this point. If I don't consistently reorient myself to value what God values, I don't know that I'm following him anymore. If I don't do life his way, I end up getting off track. And I think that we have to be ready to let Scripture tell us what to do. (laughs) See, what happens over time is it starts as a discipline, and it ends up being a passion and a joy to value what God values most. I love hearing the kids in the background. That's so cool. You always give the highest authority to what you value most, and then I'd tag on, and what you value most is your choice. You get to choose that. And I think God wants to wrestle, wants to wrestle with you about that today. Point two, two of three. If Jesus is the Lord over our old life, he gets to be the Lord over our new life too. If Jesus is the Lord over the stuff we need to be forgiven for, he gets to tell us how to live differently too. Do you agree with that? See, what I think I need to learn and be reminded about all the time is that if I have given Jesus the authority, and God has obviously given Jesus the authority to forgive me of my sin and make me right with him, then he gets to be the Lord over what I do next. And I think sometimes I want, like, the salvation, but I want to be in charge too. And it doesn't work like that. You either Give it all to him, or you don't. And I think this is where the religious leaders are stuck. Because they're literally talking to Jesus. How cool would that be? They're, I don't think they disagree with his teachings about how to treat others, but when it comes to who's in charge, they think it's me, themselves. And Jesus says it doesn't work like that. See, I think God wants us to release to release the desire to be Lord to ourselves going forward, to be more loving like him, to be more selfless like him, to be more good like him. If you put your trust in Jesus to save you, then you also give him the authority to tell you what to do going forward. 
And there's some of you, myself included, who maybe feel stuck in your faith because you're just not there yet. And I totally get that. I totally get that. Matthew 20 records Jesus as he talks about being the Lord over people's life. If you're on the fence today and you're like, I, I understand the salvation piece, I get it. But going forward, like Jesus telling me what to do to live differently, I don't know if I trust him like that. Here's what I would say. Matthew 20, Jesus is about to describe how he tells his disciples. So like how he does it and how he instructs his people to do it. How to lord over somebody's life. How to be the director. How to be in charge. He says this, Matthew 20. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. He's about to describe how he does it. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus doesn't come into our life to be Lord, to Lord it over us. He comes in to be in charge because he knows he is going to serve you. He is going to put you first. Isn't that crazy? We can trust somebody like that. He came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then number three, third point. This is what's been on my heart the, probably the most, is that we do relationship, not religion. One of the things that Jesus wanted to change, I think, in how people relate to God is to remember, to remind people that God is not interested in just making you jump through hoops. That's lording it over somebody. That's flaunting it. That Jesus died to have the opportunity to have a relationship with you and with me. And that's what we do is relationship. And I think a good rule of thumb, if we're, if we're thinking, if we're considering about who is going to be in charge, who's going to have the utmost authority in our life, whether it's Jesus, whether it's me, whether it's culture, whether it's pressure from family, success, fill in the blank. If we're deciding who's going to have the highest authority in my life, we, and we're willing to trust Jesus, we should just do what Jesus did. Just do for Jesus what Jesus does for us. And if we read in Scripture closely, we see over and over and over that Jesus pushes all his chips to the center. He goes all in to come for us. He gives up heaven. He gives up his relationship with the Father. He gives up his glory. He gives it all up for the option of knowing you. He gives it all up. He pushes everything in, and he says, I'm all in. And I just think the appropriate response is to go all in back. What do you think about that? I mean, the appropriate response to a God-man who's willing to die for us is to say, yep, I'm all in too. I'm all in too. You can have it. You can have all of it.
Why is this scene so intense? Why is Jesus so unrelenting here? Why does he not budge one inch about who's in charge? Because what's on the line isn't politics. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's not a position. It's not an angle. It's you. And me. He's not willing to budge because it's through his authority that he is able to save. I invite the the band to come up as we close. Today, this is not the encouraging Father's Day high-five sermon that I had hoped for. This is more of like that Joker theme that just puts you on edge. But thank God that Jesus did not pull his punch today with this. Because what's on the line is his authority to save. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much here that you are in charge. If there are some some of us in the room that are struggling with, with really living out what it means to put our full trust in you, not just for salvation, that's big, but God, to live a different life. I pray that today, maybe we wouldn't go from zero to 100, but today we would just take one step forward. We would take one step forward. Maybe it's time to release the grip on the thing that we value most that's other than you. God, I know I need to hear that today and this week. Holy Spirit, would you come and remind us how close you are. Remind us how much God loves us, that he's passionate about saving us. God, may we be courageous enough to push all of our chips into the center of the table and say, if you're all in, I'm all in too. If you're all in, I'm all in too. You can have it all. God, today as we celebrate fathers, I know this is not the message that that I would have chosen, but it's good because God, you are good. You are a good father. So as we celebrate today, as we feel all the feelings that Father's Day brings, may we remember, Lord, who's in charge. And it's so good when you're in charge because you are willing and able to serve and care for us. So Lord, as we finish up with this song, may our conversation continue through prayer, through singing, through talking with a pastor or an elder or somebody in our our community here. Lord, may we take the next step towards you. In Jesus' name, we all say together, amen. Why don't we stand and let's, uh, let's sing this last song together.